In this episode, neurology resident Dave Ho interviews Dr. Michelle Kaku, a neuromuscular specialist, on the topic of the diagnosis of myasthenia gravis. A reminder that the purpose of this podcast is for education and not for direct medical advice. We hope you enjoy. Our topic today is in the diagnosis of myasthenia gravis. Our guest today is Dr. Michelle Kaku. Welcome. Thanks, Dave. So uh, getting started, uh, what are some elements of history that would prompt consideration for myasthenia gravis? Great question. Um, so I think the hallmark signs of myasthenia are really fluctuating symptoms. Uh, so symptoms that worsen with activity, improve with rest, tend to be worse um, at the end of the day. Um, and a little bit more than 50% of patients with myasthenia typically present with ocular symptoms. So they may have diplopia and whether or not they, they have weakness presenting as well. About 10 to 20% remain ocular. Um, other common presentations include bulbar weakness. So patients often complain of difficulty chewing, swallowing, talking. Uh, they may have head flexion or extension weakness uh, as one of their presenting symptoms. Uh, usually when patients present with limb weakness, it's typically more severe proximally. So the things that they complain of are difficulty with going up and down stairs, um, brushing their hair or their teeth, um, lifting things above their heads. And the, the presentation of weakness can be symmetrical or it may be mildly um, asymmetrical. Um, the time course is uh, often weeks to months, although as you know, patients can you know, present in an exacerbation. Uh, and then a, a couple of things that may put me off in the history are things that worsen symptoms. So uh, a concurrent infection, like a, like a viral URI, um, stress, uh, hot weather, a recent surgery, um, as we talked about last time, certain medications. So some of those are, can be common triggers um, that can worsen some of the symptoms. Uh, and then I just sort of roughly think about just demographic uh, where usually the prevalence is in younger women, um, you know, in their 20s or older men, you know, greater than 50s, uh, typically tend to present with myasthenia. Hmm. When we see a patient and we're considering myasthenia, what are some exam maneuvers that we can do in clinic that may help with, with um, that, this diagnosis? Sure. Um, so I think with any neuromuscular exam, you want to look at certain um, uh, portions a little bit more closely. So depending on how a patient is presenting, a few things you can assess. For example, if they are presenting with facial weakness, I would examine the orbicularis oculi. You know, you could um, try to, uh, the patient can squeeze their eyes closed against resistance um, while you try to open uh, the eye. Um, as well as the orbicularis oris. Um, so you can do this a bunch of ways, but you can, um, they can, you can ask the patient to prevent air from escaping their mouth while you try to compress their cheeks while it's um, filled with air to see if there's you know, very mild weakness. Um, and then really also just looking at the patient, you may actually see that their frontalis muscles are contracted. So they may actually have like a little bit of like a, 
surprised look on their face. Um, and that's really meant to help keep their eyelids open. Um, and then there are a couple very specific exam maneuvers that you can uh, assess as well. So one is Kogan's lid twitch. So um, essentially what this is, is you have the patient look down and then look into the neutral position. And if a patient has like a totic lid, it will sometimes uh, rise rapidly, but then can't hold its position. So it'll actually drop to a lower position. So again, looking down, looking to midpoint, and the lid will like sort of twitch up and then down. Um, and that's actually because of some fatigue and weakness of the levator palpebrae muscle. Um, it's not really specific necessarily for, for myasthenia. It's also been reported with, you know, dorsal brainstem pathology, for example, but it's one maneuver that you can um, do to try and elicit uh, uh, some, some symptoms. Um, to assess really subtle proximal weakness, so I, I pay special attention to proximal limbs, like the hip flexors, the deltoids, um, but even when, when patients are strong, you can see if someone has fatigable weakness, so you can do repetitive testing of the delt deltoids, for example. Um, you might also want to ask them to uh, squat um, and really try to ask them to keep their back straight when they're squatting. Sometimes even just a little bit of like leaning forward uh, to stabilize them might be a subtle sign of some, some hip flexor weakness. Um, and then I guess if someone is short of breath, so is coming in a, uh, a crisis, you could ask them to take a really deep breath and count as high as they can. And that's sort of um, a, uh, a cheap way of doing a, a NIF and, and vital capacity at the bedside um, mm -hmm. to see if they uh, fatigue and, and aren't able to, to count very high. Okay. Um, in addition to those exam maneuvers, would you ever consider doing an ice pack test? Uh, that's a great question. So the ice pack test is really useful in a very specific clinical scenario, which is really if someone has ptosis. So I wouldn't do an ice pack test if, you know, that they're having other signs of myasthenia, but particularly ocular um, symptoms. So all the test is, is you essentially put an ice pack over the ubiquilaris oculi for about two-ish minutes. Um, you probably want to make sure the ice is, like, covered in some ways. So you don't get, give the patient an ice burn. Mm -hmm. um, and you're really looking for the, the official thing that you're looking for is improvement of ptosis by about two millimeters. Um, or you may ha actually have some subjective improvement in diplopia. Um, the, the pathophysiology behind that is the, the thought is that the cold inhibits acetylcholinesterase. Um, so you have a little bit of uh, some mild improvement in ptosis immediately after doing the test. Um, it's uh, there's, you know, different um, quotes about sensitivity and specificity, but generally around like 70% sensitive and actually pretty specific, at least reported in the literature is, is in the high 90s. Um, but there's been definitely false positives and negatives that have also been reported. Uh, with regards to diagnostic studies, is there a particular battery of studies or lab work you would send as first line or second line? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think part of this question depends a little bit on how the patient is presenting. But um, if my clinical suspicion is very high, uh, I usually start with 
um, acetylcholine receptor antibodies, which can be seen in about 80% of generalized myasthenia. Unfortunately, it's only seen in about 50% of ocular myasthenia, so sensitivity is a little bit lower for um, ocular patients. Uh, along with that panel, usually if, if patients are presenting with proximal weakness, for example, I might order a CK, an aldolase, and a TSH. Um, but again, kind of depends on, on how the patients are presenting. Um, and then if acetylcholine receptor antibodies are negative, then I may order um, some additional antibodies. First, I'll, or, I'll probably order a musk antibody um, to see if that's positive. Um, from your clinical experience, do patients who are musk positive with myasthenia gravis present any differently or appear any differently to the clinician? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, a majority of the patients that uh, present tend to be female, um, potentially presenting in their, their third or fourth decade. Um, and the types of symptoms that uh, present are typically ocular or uh, bulbar symptoms. Okay. Um, let's say that um, our testing has... Um, been inconclusive. At what point would you refer a patient for repetitive stimulation or single fiber EMG? And uh, I was hoping if you could comment a little bit on its sensitivity and specificity. Sure, no problem. So um, if an acetylcholine receptor is positive, then and, and a very clinically suspicious person, you're kind of done. Um, if, if it's negative, the patient may be seronegative. So you may move on to additional tests to assess the neuromuscular junction. So the first line I would say is probably repetitive nerve stim, um, which actually is a little bit more sensitive than antibody testing. And you can see uh, a decremental response on a slow rep stim of, of two hertz uh, in about 75 to 85% of patients with myasthenia. Um, although similarly to the antibody testing, um, it, this is only seen with about 50% um, in ocular myasthenia. Right? So it may not be uh, positive with, with, with um, ocular myasthenia. Um, with single fiber EMG, unlike repetitive nerve stimulation, the neuromuscular transmission doesn't actually need to fail completely before you get an abnormality of transmission. So you actually have a little bit higher sensitivity for single fiber. Um, so single fiber detects what's called increased jitter in some muscles and almost really all patients with myasthenia. So um, it's usually abnormal in upwards of 98% of, of patients with myasthenia gravis. Thank you for that. And uh, for our listeners, thank you all for joining us today. This has been Neurology Clinical Pearls. We are available wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.